Columbia University in New York City was founded in 1754 at Trinity Church in Manhattan by a royal charter from King George II of Great Britain. It was renamed Columbia College in 1784 after the American Revolution. Dr. Samuel Johnson, the famous clergyman from colonial America, was the college's first president. Columbia University is the oldest institution of higher learning in the state of New York. The school's motto is the Latin translation of a verse from the Psalms, In thy light shall we see light. On this episode of Through the Psalms, we're going to be discussing the psalm that this motto came from, Psalm 36. Well, welcome to the Through the Psalms podcast. As I said, we're going to be talking about Psalm 36 today. Uh, It's another psalm of David. Uh, The superscription reads, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. The theme of this psalm is the loving kindness of God, which is found in verses 5, 7, and 10. The classification for Psalm 36 is a little bit uh, confusing. It's kind of all over the map, and it depends on what source you use. Um, The King James Study Bible classifies it as a lament psalm, and I don't really see it as a lament psalm. Other sources call it a didactic or wisdom psalm uh, or a teaching psalm. Uh, Some classify it as a thanksgiving psalm, and I think I even saw one source that called it a hymn psalm. Uh, I tend to lean more towards the didactic or wisdom psalm because I think this psalm teaches us about the loving kindness of of God. So that's the classification I would go with on this one. As far as the outline goes, the King James Study Bible has a three-part outline for it. Um, Verses 1 through 4, the rebellious sinner. Verses 5 through 9, the blessedness of the righteous And verses 10 through 12, a prayer of protection from the wicked. It's a short psalm. There's only 12 verses. And so with that as a background, let's go ahead and read Psalm 36, and then we'll talk about it. The transgression of the wicked saith within mine heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flattereth himself in his own eyes, until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. He deviseth mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are a great deep. O Lord, thou preservest man and beast. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee, and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me, and let not the hand of the wicked remove me. There are the workers of iniquity fallen. They are cast down and shall not be able to rise. Okay, so let's go ahead and go back to verse 1. And verse 1 is a little bit difficult to understand. 
The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. An alternate translation might be an oracle within my heart of the transgression of the wicked. The NIV says an oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes. So basically what David is saying is that he's going to start talking about uh, the wicked and he's going to list some characteristics about the wicked person. Uh, and so he's pondering or meditating in his heart and thinking about this topic of the wicked. And he lists six or seven characteristics in these next few verses of the wicked person. The first one he lists is there is no fear of God before his eyes. So he does not fear God. Uh, we talked about before, I think, the fear of God in Proverbs and how the the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. And the wicked person doesn't have the fear of God in his heart. He lives his life basically without regard to what God has said. The second characteristic that David lists is that he flatters himself. So he's proud and boastful. Uh, he flatters himself. The NIV says, for in his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. So he's so busy flattering himself that he uh, cannot even see his own sin or detect his own faults uh, because of the pride in his heart. So there's no fear of God, number one. Two, he flatters himself or he's proud. Uh, three, he can't see his own sin. And... Uh, I wanted to read a quote from Charles Spurgeon on this one. He said, Rottenness smells sooner or later, too strong to be concealed. There is a time when the leprosy cannot be hidden. At last, the old house can no longer be propped up and falls around the tenant's ears. So there is a limit to a man's self-flattery. He is found out amid general scorn and can no longer keep up the farce which he played so well. And so Spurgeon is saying, eventually that sin is going to come out and it's going to be revealed he can't hide it forever. And so the wicked can flatter himself. He can pretend like everything's okay and ignore his sin. But after a while, eventually it's going to come out. And that's what Spurgeon is saying there. Um, the fourth characteristic of the wicked that David lists here is sinful words or wicked and deceitful words. Uh, that's found in verse 3. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit or uh, wickedness and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. Uh, the NIV says the words of his mouth are wicked and deceitful. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. So he has sinful words. Uh, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Uh, Jesus talks about, you know, whatever is in your heart will come out, you know, uh, through your mouth. And, and uh, the Bible has a lot to say about the tongue and sinful words and deceitful words. And so, this is another uh, characteristic of the wicked person. It also says, uh, and this is the fifth characteristic, he has ceased to be wise or to do good. So he's no longer cares about what's right or not trying to do what's right. Uh, he has stopped worrying about that and is just pursuing evil. And then the sixth uh, characteristic is found in verse four. He plots evil upon his bed. Uh, he deviseth mischief upon his bed. 
Um, the NIV says, even on his bed, he plots evil. He commits himself to a sinful course and does not reject what is wrong. Um, so when he should be resting, instead he's imagining things and plotting evil. Um, on this verse, Spurgeon comments and says, his place of rest becomes the place for plotting. His bed is a hotbed for poisonous weeds. For he has taught his heart to love filthiness, having accustomed, his, having accustomed himself to revel in it in imagination. So the wicked man cannot um, cease to plot evil and to imagine uh, evil things and evil deeds. Um, and then the uh, seventh characteristic uh, would be you know, that he has ceased to be wise. I'm sorry, that he has committed himself to a sinful course and does not reject what is wrong. So let me just go over those seven um, characteristics quickly again. Number one, no fear of God before his eyes. Number two, flatters himself. Number three, can't see his own sin. Number four, sinful or deceitful words. Um, five, he has ceased to be wise or do good. Six, he plots evil upon his bed. And then seven, he commits himself to a sinful course and does not reject what is wrong. So there David sums up pretty uh, succinctly the wicked person. In verse five, he switches gears and he starts talking about uh, the love of the Lord or the loving kindness or the mercy of the Lord. Um, this word, um, I believe it's chesed in Hebrew. Uh, it can be translated loving kindness or mercy. And uh, that's what he uh, talks about now. He switches gears. Um, he says, Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. And so he talks about the uh, limitlessness of the love of the Lord, uh, how it reaches to the sky and the clouds and the heaven. Uh, so uh, it's quite a contrast there between the wicked and then he switches over and starts talking about the love of the Lord. Um, let me read you what Spurgeon says here. He says, Clear sky is evermore above, and mercy calmly smiles above the din and smoke of this poor world. And so you have God's mercy and love standing out in stark contrast to the wickedness of the uh, world. Um, and so... Uh, it's quite a picture there. And you'll notice in this psalm that David uses a lot of imagery from nature, um, clouds, uh, mountains, the deep or the sea. Uh, he talks about the wings of, you know, comparing God's protection to, to wings of protection. And so there's a lot of uh, references to nature, uh, a lot of metaphors, uh, involving nature in this psalm. All right, in verse 6, he uh, says, Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are a great deep. O Lord, thou preservest man and beast. Uh, the NIV there in verse 6 says, Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice like the great deep. O Lord, you preserve both man and beast. So when you see the word deep, you can think ocean or sea. That's what it's talking about. 
And so he's going from the tall mountains down to the sea, uh, the whole span uh, there. But he's uh, talking about how large God's righteousness is. It's like a great mountain. It's insurmountable. Uh, and then his justice is as deep as the sea. So these these uh, very large objects and um, he's comparing God's righteousness and justice to. Uh, on this verse, Charles Spurgeon says, Right across the path of every unholy man who dreams of heaven stand the towering Andes of divine righteousness, which no unregenerate sinner can ever climb. And what he's referring to there is that if we try to gain heaven, you know, in our own righteousness, we can't climb that mountain. God's righteousness is too great. We're, we're sinners and we'll never meet God's standard of righteousness and perfection and holiness. And that's why we need Christ is because we can't climb that mountain uh, because we're fallen sinners. And so we need Christ and his righteousness. And so when we put our faith in Christ, he gives us his righteousness uh, so that we don't have to climb that mountain because we can't climb that mountain. The end of that verse where he talks about, O Lord, thou preservest man and beast, this has been much discussed, and animal lovers uh, like this verse because they point to it to show that the Lord cares for animals as well as man. Uh, and I won't go into too much detail into that, but there is a lot of things uh, about that that people have said in the past. Uh, but I think it, at the very least it does show us that God does have some concern for animals but I would say that there is a, uh, we should distinguish between man and beast uh, because we know from Genesis that, um, that humans, that, that men and women are created in the image of God, whereas animals are not. And so there is a special place for mankind uh, that we are created in the image of God and made for eternity. And so God does care about animals, but it's not on the same level as his love for humans. Uh, you know, and we know in the New Testament, Jesus talks about the sparrow and, uh, you know, you know, one sparrow can't fall without God being aware of it. So he does care for the animal world as well. But we also need to keep in mind that, that uh, mankind is created in the image of God, whereas animals are not. So, all right, let's move on to verse seven. Um, how excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. So here again, David is praising God's loving kindness. Um, and that that phrase there, that first uh, sentence of verse 7, is actually a, a well-known hymn. Or I will, maybe I shouldn't say well-known, but it is a hymn or a, a Christian song. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Um and again, he uses um, some imagery from nature here, you know, wings, we think about a bird, uh, and you'll see that often throughout the psalm is when David's trying to describe God's protection uh, for his people, he often uses uh, this image of wings and, and as we shelter under God's wings. That's not to say that God literally has wings, it's just using figurative language to uh, talk about God's protection for us. 
All right, verse eight. Um, they shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. I think the thing that stands out to me when I read this verse is that we are to find our satisfaction in God. You know, we are tempted to try to find our satisfaction in the world, uh, but the world does not satisfy. It'll leave us wanting more. And the only way we're truly going to be satisfied is if we put our trust in the Lord. Only He can satisfy us. And this verse talks about that, about the fatness of thy house or the fullness of thy house and the river of thy pleasures. And so this also, this verse also refutes this idea that, you know, if we follow God, that he doesn't want us to have any joy or fun. It's just, you know, some people have this idea that God is this cosmic killjoy. And if we follow him, we're just going to be miserable all the time. But this verse refutes that. It shows us that God wants us to be satisfied with joy and, and fullness and that he will make us drink of the river of his pleasures. And the good thing about God's pleasures is that you don't have regret and and negative consequences like you do the world's pleasures. And so I think we can be encouraged by this verse to that it shows us that God does want us to have joy and abundance in our life. And he does want us to have pleasure, but the right kind of pleasure, godly pleasures, um, joy that comes from him. And only he can fully satisfy us. Uh, you know, anything else will leave us wanting more. Um, there's this image of a river. Again, you have uh, more imagery of nature. And, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about rivers. Uh, in, in Revelation, in heaven, there will be a river. Uh, it talks about the river of God that makes glad the saints of, of God. Uh and so I can't remember if that's a hymn or, or a Bible verse, but uh, so we see a lot of about rivers in the, the Bible. There's an interesting uh, thing about this verse, that word pleasures is the same word as Eden, like the Garden of Eden. So if you look up the Hebrew for that word pleasures, it's the same word as Eden. Uh, and so you think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and they... Um, wanted to, you know, they did have pleasure. They did have paradise until they fell, until they sinned. And and so that was God's original design for us, is to be in a Garden of Eden, a, a paradise. Uh, but then sin entered in the world, and all that changed. But, you know, what did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? He said, Thou shalt be with me in paradise today, or today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And so heaven is that now. It's not, you know, a lot of people look for heaven on earth, but we look forward to heaven and, and the uh, eternal joy of heaven. That will ultimately satisfy our desire for paradise uh, because paradise is not to be found on this earth now that sin has entered into it. Uh, this earth has been marred by sin and sickness and, and wickedness and violence and death and so we look forward to a paradise in heaven with God. All right, let's go on to verse 9. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. 
Okay, that last part, again, is the, uh, I mentioned in the intro, the the motto of uh, Columbia University, in thy light shall we see light. That's where they got that motto from, is this verse. But let's talk about the fountain of life first. Um, you know, when I read that phrase, fountain of life, I think about a uh, fountain of youth for some reason. And you think about, uh, you probably learned in school about the Spanish explorer uh, that was in Florida in 1513, Juan Ponce de Leon, and he was looking for uh, the fountain of life. And he, and he had heard these rumors about the fountain of life, uh, that is a, a fountain where you could drink the water and it could make you young again and keep you from aging. And so he was looking for that. And and that you find that throughout history. Um, the Greek historian Herodotus wrote about uh, something similar to a fountain of life. Uh, and it's also in uh, the Prester John legend. And so you see this desire of humanity for a fountain of youth or a fountain of life that would keep them young and keep them uh, you know, from aging. Uh, but God is our fountain of life. Only he can give life. And we can't go back and be young again, but we can go to God who is the fountain of life and the source of life. And he, he is the one that grants life and he is that source or that fountain. So instead of looking for something out in the world, like a fountain of youth, you know, we can go to God and look to him, and he is our fountain of life. And, and again, this verse also talks about light. Um, and we, we learn in the Bible that, that God is light, and, uh, and that light is representative of, of God and his truth and his love. And, uh, you know, when I think about... Um, uh, light. I, I think about those verses in, in John, John chapter one, um, and it, in verse four, it's speaking of Christ, and it says, "In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not." And so, there in that verse, you have both life and light discussed. But Christ is our life, and He is our light. Yeah, I think also about the story of the um, Samaritan woman at Jacob's well in John chapter 4. And Jesus stopped uh, to get a drink. And he was speaking with this Samaritan woman. And he starts talking to her about living water and how she has this living water that he has to offer that she'll never thirst again. And so uh, there's a lot in the Bible that, that talks about uh, life and light and and uh, you know another interesting thing is that going back to this motto in thy light shall we see light God is our source of light uh, I think what that's saying is without God's light we don't have light in thy light shall we see light uh, you think about Genesis and when God created the earth, he created light on the first day. He said, let there be light. But there was no sun or moon yet. There were no heavenly bodies yet. And so you had light and you had night and day before there was even a sun. And then on the fourth day, he created the heavenly bodies like the sun and the moon. And so what does that tell us? That tells us that God is not dependent upon stars like the sun for light that he himself is light. 
and he can provide the light without those things. And so God is our source of life, and he is our source of light. And so some interesting things there to ponder. All right, verse 10. O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee, and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. Here David switches gears again, and, and here he enters into this prayer of protection. He's asking God to protect him from the wicked. He's talked about the wicked in the first part of the psalm, then he talked about the loving kindness, and now he says, Okay, Lord, now that you're loving kind now that you have this loving kindness, you, you are a loving and merciful God. Now I'm gonna pray for protection from these wicked people that I talked about in the first few verses. And that word continue there in verse 10 is is key. He's asking God to continue his loving kindness unto them that know thee and your righteousness to the upright in heart. So he wants God to continue to bless him and protect him and show him mercy. And he's asking for God's righteousness. You know, we talked about a a few verses before where we don't have a righteousness of our own, but we have to be given the righteousness of Christ. Here David is praying for God's righteousness to be given to him, to the upright in heart. Verse 11 is an interesting verse. And this is another verse that you could pray in your own prayer life. Let not the foot of pride come against me and let not the hand of the wicked remove me. And I think that David is just praying for protection uh, from wicked people. He's, he's saying, Lord, protect me from the proud and protect me from the wicked and don't let them uh, remove me or drive me away. Don't let them come against me is what he's saying. Now, I guess you could interpret the first part of that verse, let not the foot of pride come against me. You could, he could be praying for God to protect him from pride in his own heart. So that could be interpreted that way as well, I think. But it's a prayer of protection. And then verse 12, David closes by saying that the workers of iniquity are fallen and they, they are cast down and not able to rise. And so ultimately the the wicked will be defeated, but the people of God who have trusted in him uh, will be blessed and inherit the earth and inherit heaven. So in conclusion, what can we learn from this psalm? Again, the theme of it is the loving kindness of God. And so we can focus on the loving kindness and the mercy and the goodness of the Lord But there's obviously here a contrast between the wicked and the faithfulness of God. You know, David describes the wicked person and how evil they are, but he also contrasts that with the faithfulness and loving kindness of God. So there's quite a contrast there. And then there's that recurring theme that we talk about many times on this podcast, and that is that we need to trust in the Lord for protection and that's found in verse 7. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. All right, well, that's a short and sweet psalm, and I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I'm trying to, to get out at least one episode per month. Uh, if I have extra time, then I'll try to do more than that. So I'm not saying there won't ever be more than that, but I'm trying to do, Lord willing, at least one per month. Um, 
I thought I'd do something different. Uh, I usually close with the uh, priestly benediction from Numbers chapter 6, but I thought today I would read from Joshua chapter 1 and close with that. So uh, I hope you all have a wonderful week, and may God bless you. And I'm going to close here with Joshua chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest.